Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at LeBanks St. Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. I do want to sing those words because we know that you, the name of Jesus is so powerful. And no matter what you're facing today, I felt so strongly in my heart that God was saying, perhaps it's for someone to arise, to arise, to come, go with him, to arise. He's calling you to arise, arise and shine. And it's hard. And like we heard, perhaps there's mountains in the way and perhaps the heights you're scared of. But God is saying, arise, come with me, come with me. The winter is, is passing. The winter has been a time of, though you've not seen things, they have been developing and growing. And the spring is coming. The, the day is dawning of new things, new things. The day is dawning. Just arise, arise with the Lord today. Don't let anything hold you back. Don't just stay with a lower life. Go for a higher life in him. Rise to that higher life in him, that resurrection power, that resurrection life that he calls you to. Just arise, arise this morning. Just want to say this morning, just want to welcome Steve. And I was walking in Bordeaux this morning and from the Welsh Valleys over to Jersey. It was a good morning this morning. We couldn't see Jersey. He knows I'm a jester. Just, we love Jersey. We go there on holiday. We go there most of the time. So. I go for the shops, he goes for McDonald's. <laughs> but no, we do love Jersey and it's a great place and it's so great to have Steve. And Steve and Hillary, we sort of followed them around the country, like wherever they went, we were behind and they came to Jersey and then we came to Guernsey. So <laughs> he's like, get rid of us. <laughs> but no, it's great to have you and it's and great to have you here with us. Amen. Yes, great to see everyone this morning. Yeah, it's good to welcome Steve, the only Welsh Jerseyman I know. Uh, yeah, I was, the only thing I was concerned about was the height of the pulpit. Yeah, so if, if you don't see him, he is here actually. Just to say First Bex, what's the matter with you? It's a real joy to welcome Steve. Uh, I, don't think, I don't quite know what more. Angie's robbed all my best lines, but uh, it's great to see him and we know God's going to use him and uh, speak through him this morning. So welcome Steve, let's welcome this morning. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, you're pinching all my lines as well now. Yeah. I've had so much abuse since I've been in this building this morning, it's unbelievable. I'm also a Welshman, so he brings up the rugby. Yeah. <laughs> he brings, he's got a photograph of a Liverpool player right in his office. For those of you who follow sport, Chelsea beat Spurs in the FA Cup semi-final last night. Who, who cheered? Get out. <laughs> I, I, I had a dream when I was a kid that I would be like the Welsh answer to Jimmy Greaves. Most of you have never even heard of him. Um, that's how old I am. Okay. Um, it's lovely to be with you again. Um, this looks posh, doesn't it? Uh, it's just that um, when I was at the airport yesterday, it was two for three pounds. One, one for one ninety-nine or two for three pounds. Well, it's no brainer, isn't it? Why do they put one ninety-nine? Why not just say two pounds? And so you can get two for three pounds instead of one for two pounds. So I thought, well, I'll have the two. But I've got to drink it before I get back on the plane tonight. So, so I thought I'd use it as my refreshment. Um, I must confess, I, I do have one problem. I need to confess to you this well. One specific problem, not more than one, but one specific problem that I have to confess, and it's my mouth. All right? I've had it all my life. And um, it sometimes gets me into trouble. And my, my wife, whose name's Hillary, says, Stephen, you need to be careful with your humor, because um, people don't always understand that you're joking. So if I, if I say anything that upsets you this morning, I'm only joking, okay? <laughs> so, you know, John, John is... Uh, John and Joe was very hospitable towards us, um, very kind. They say nice things about me to my face. <clears throat> and he set me up in this lovely, lovely hotel last night. And I began to wander around and I thought, I'm the youngest person here. Now, I'm no spring chicken, all right? 
And I, I went to breakfast this morning. I don't normally eat breakfast on a Sunday morning because I hate preaching on a full stomach, okay? Because I don't want to share with everyone else what, I, what I've got inside me, apart from what's in my heart, of course. And um, I went to breakfast. I was, you know, you, you go away and you think, I, I can relax this morning. I haven't got to get early. I haven't got to get to the church, make sure this is right, that's right, everything's in place, and I'm visiting somebody else, so I can just relax. Do you know what? I was awake before the sun. And I thought, why? And, and I felt a burden about what we're going to be looking at this morning and what to share it with you. And I thought, well, I'm not really hungry. I'm still full from last night. And, but I'd better go to breakfast. It's a bit rude if you put up in a hotel with bed and breakfast and, and not you know, t- take advantage of the hospitality, isn't it? Especially when he's paying for it. <laughs> or you're paying for it, actually. But <laughs> um, I thought, well, it'd be rude not to go. So I decided I'd go to breakfast. And there's only one other person there. Is that early? I'm never early for breakfast when I'm on holiday. When I'm in a hotel, I'm never the first for breakfast. And there's this nice little old lady sitting there, and then people start to come in. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking, he's put me in an old people's home. (laughs) And then I thought, no, John wouldn't do that to you. And then I realized, yes, John would do that to you. And then I, I got up and went back to my room, began to get ready to come, and then went to reception to get my boarding pass for tonight, because I'm sure you want me to leave. And, um, and then I saw a young couple with a pushchair, and I felt good. It wasn't an old people's home after all. It was a very nice old people's home, by, by the way. Look, I, I want to say to you this morning, young lady, your choruses actually fit in with what I'm going to bring. Okay, what you just said, John, fits in with what I'm going to say. So I feel very comfortable right now um, with what I feel God wants to say to us this morning. I know the last time I came, I believe God gave me a specific word for this church. I'm not claiming that this morning, but I do believe that God wants to speak into some people's lives. And I'm going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, The story from 8 to 23, where the Syrian army wanted to attack Israel, but Elisha was given words from God to to avoid and thwart the tactics of those attacks. And the king actually thought that he had someone in his own company that was conspiring against him. <clears throat> and, uh, and so he begins to, to make plans. And I, I just want to f- focus on a couple of verses, actually. Even though I'm referring to the passage, I'm not going to read it. Um, I've got so much to say, but don't worry, my flight's at five o'clock, so we haven't got too much to worry about. But, you know, the king of, uh, of Syria is out to get Elisha because he's thwarting his tactics. And I, I just want you to look at um, verses 16 and 17. And because I haven't written them down in my notes, I better read them. Or do you throw them up? Do you throw the scriptures up there? Are you able to do that? Wow, how, how high tech is that? Can you see above my head here? Okay, that's right. So it's two kings, and 16 and 17, I, I just want us to, to focus on, but bearing in mind that the background to the story is that um, they're out to get Elisha. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Elisha is a wonderful prophet in the Old Testament who is used mightily by God and moves in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And um, people think that the Holy Spirit is only the person of the New Testament. Well, they need to start reading Ezekiel. Read about Elisha, Elijah, and all the other great prophets of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is at work, even from creation and through creation, and before creation. That's a wonderful script you got there. Ah, verse 16, please. Otherwise, we'll be here all day. Especially if I preach on every verse. We'll have to have a conference. Um, look, if you forget anything else I say this morning... Will you remember this? God does not set you up to fail. Now you think of the words that if we sung through some of the songs, they had limited in the worship, especially a bit about the desert. I want you to be encouraged, okay, because actually some of the scriptures I'm referring to brings the desert situation into it, okay. And Uriah the priest did, look, they said, what are you doing to me? Look, they said, we are your servants, 50 able men, let them go. Is that one? Is that two kings? 
No, I want chapter, I want chapter six. Stop messing me about. He set you up to do this, didn't he? I'd have to come here to be made a mock of, you know, I can go back home. I get this every week. Don't be afraid. That's it. The prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, we need to understand things are not what they seem to be. Very often. Now, when I go to a, 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 a church that's not my own to, to, to speak, I like to take in the atmosphere. I like to get a sense in the spirit of what what's going on. And I sense that most of you are the people who love to praise and worship God. That's the, that's the sort of emphasis in this particular fellowship at this moment in time. But you know, there's something far, far more. Now, that's, that's great. Okay, that's great. And don't, don't lose that. In fact, go even deeper and further into it. But you know, there's more to it than that. There's more than just coming and worshipping. And I want you to understand that God does not set up his people to fail. Ever. Ever, ever. He does not set up his church to fail. You know, I, I, I do a bit of Facebook. I'm quite hopeless. Uh, in fact, when it comes to technology, I don't usually use an iPad to preach. But of course, when you're traveling light, you want to take as little as you can. I didn't want to bring my big, sort of big black Bible that's uh, on, on the plane and just hand luggage. And, and so I thought, well, I'll, I'll stick my notes in my iPad and off I go. And it'll probably switch off halfway through my sermon. I don't switch off halfway through my sermon. My iPad does. Okay. Please don't you switch off halfway through my sermon, although you might want to. Am I talking too fast? Oh, good. You understand the Jersey, uh, uh, a Welshman from Jersey. How can you be so rude about my, my, my heritage? Come from one lovely island to another. I know it's all jest. By the way, John, I'm moving to India next year. Okay, Andy. See if he follows me there. <laughs> anyway, um, God does not set you up to fail. God does not set me up to fail. And right throughout our walk, our Christian lives together, very often we feel insignificant. We feel that God can't possibly use me. We feel that God can't possibly do anything through me. Well, the problem with that is, it's not that we're being humble, it's that we're limiting the power of God to do what he wants to do in and through us. And so if God has called us to something, and God has told us to do something, then we have no right to say, I cannot do it. Now, I'm talking from experience, okay? I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. I grew up when I wasn't allowed to go to the cinema. I wasn't allowed to go and play on a Sunday. Okay, this is the old traditional stuff in the UK, and if you come, come from the UK, obviously you've not had this in these beautiful islands. But I come from a very traditional Pentecostal Elim back. I was born in Elim. If my mum hadn't given birth to me in the hospital, I would probably have been born in the church itself. Okay, that, that's, that's how Elim I am. Um, all my life I've been in Elim. And, um, and I've been brought up in the traditional way that you didn't do this and you didn't do that and you didn't do the other. I also was brought up in a, in a time when uh, pastors were... Was, were under the authority of people in the church and, and whatever the deacon said, the pastor had to do and there was a power struggle going on very often in, in situations in churches. And as a teenager, I vowed I would never ever go into the ministry. I saw my father broken and destroyed time and time and time again. I'm telling this for a reason. I vowed as a teenager I would never ever go into the ministry because I thought I don't want to face what I've witnessed in, in my upbringing. My parents never talked about the church in front of us as children, okay. They never complained and they never said a thing. But I saw. Can I tell you something? Your children see everything that goes on. And they pick up things in the spirit and in the realm of the home. And every time you have a discussion about your pastor and his wife and the leaders and everything else, your children pick it up. The Bible says, touch not the Lord's anointed. I don't know why I'm saying this this morning, because it's actually not in my notes. 
And it's nothing to do with what I want to say. But I feel in the spirit, I need to say it this morning. And I, I can say it as a visiting uh, speaker. You must not touch the Lord's anointed. You have no right. And you see, God will deal with anything that you feel is not right. Because probably, if you think things aren't going the way that they should be going, I often ask the question when people come and challenge me, well, how much prayer have you put into it? How much time have you spent with God over it? How much have you actually asked the Lord about your feelings and what your thoughts are before you come uh, and, and challenge what the leadership feel is the right thing to do? Because, you see, leaders of churches don't come with ideas and suggestions and feelings that they've got to do something without asking God first. Just a, just a thought, you know. Do you ever take that into consideration? Proverbs 16.3 Commit unto the Lord all your plans and they will succeed. You see, pastors learn over a period of time and before they go into the ministry actually. Actually, it's best to ask God first before we put plans into place. God, is this the right thing to do? Or is this not the right thing to do? Now, I want to leave it there. Okay, because this is not my message. But I feel in the spirit, if you're disillusioned and you think things aren't going the way that you feel they should be going, or as quickly as you feel they should be going to it, go and talk to Jesus. Don't talk to other people. Don't even talk to the pastor before you talk to Jesus. And see what he has to say about it first. Fair? You still love me? Well, you didn't love me in the first place. What difference does it make? Okay. So, I, I just want to leave that with you, because, you see, where there is unity in the church, where we understand the principles of Scripture... Uh, where we understand what God has to say and do in any individual location, where the people gather together, whether they agree in the methodology, the philosophy, or whatever it is, as long as they agree that they are doing what God wants them to do, the church will grow. And it's not necessarily the leadership fault when the church doesn't grow, it's the intermingling of people's minds and thoughts and discussions that go along in the background that very often destroy what God wants to do. And I know, and I said this, I think, the last time I was here, God wants to build this church under the authority of the leadership that you have. I really believe that with all my heart, because that's God's heart. I'm sick and tired of reading on Facebook people who write about the church is this, the church is that, the church needs this sorting out, and the church is this. Jesus died for the church. We're his bride. Now, I'm not perfect yet. I know that's astounding to you to think that. Okay, uh, I'm the nearest one here out of us all. I, I, I know that, but I'm not yet perfect. All right, um, my wife tells me very often, as if I need reminding. Uh, but you know, Jesus loves his bride. Now, I can still remember my wedding day. That's amazing, isn't it, at my age? You know, but I can still remember waiting for my bride to walk down that aisle in a dress I specifically, a style of dress I specifically asked that she would wear. I asked her to be a Cinderella on our wedding day. What a ridiculous nonsense. I was young, come on. But I just said, will you wear a Cinderella dress? How stupid is that? You know, I'm old and, well, I can't say grey. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could, but I can't. So, uh, John, we used to play football together. Can you believe that? Two ginger-haired, fiery things on the football pitch. One with long legs, who was like a tank. And one with short legs, who was like a ferret. I think he still carries the marks. I, I must admit, I have a bit of a reputation. Um, it's, a, it's a shame, but there you go. Uh, Met a lady last, last, uh, the other week who, uh, for the first time ever since Bible college, and she was, she used to share my wife's room apparently. I don't even recognize her to be honest with you. She was in John's year. Oh, she was in your year, Linda. And, uh, she said, I recognize you from, I, I remember you from college. I said, do you really? She said, yeah, you're always in trouble. I thought, of all the things to remember, you remember I was always in trouble? There were other things about me, you know? So, you know, Things, things go on and things develop and yeah, I get myself into trouble. But at the end of the day, I know God's heart for his people. 
You know, when you've been doing what we're doing for nearly 40 years, you know God's heart for his people. Otherwise, you wouldn't still do it. And the fact of the matter is, God has a heart for you as a church. God has a heart for you as an individual. God has a heart for you as something special that he bled and died for upon the cross, which we've been singing about this morning, and you are precious in his sight. And so he will never, ever set you up to fail. And the fact of the matter is, I'm a father too. I'm a grandfather now, and I never want to see my children fail. Well, they never fail in my eyes. No matter what they do, they never fail because love is unconditional. It should be. Is your love for your pastor and leadership of this church unconditional? Oh, you only whispered that bit. You weren't too sure, were you? Love has to be unconditional if it's the love of the Father. Come on, church. God is love. God doesn't love. Doesn't have love. God is love. And he loves you. And he loves me. And he loves everyone. And he does not want his children to fail. He never sets his children up to fail. And so many people in the Christian church today think that God wants us to fall flat on our faces and can't possibly use me. And that's a lie from the pit. Let me tell you. If you've been born into the family of God, you are a child of God and he wants you to be the best that you can possibly be if you submit yourself totally to him and his ways. And surrender to, oh, I've nearly lost it. Well, I lost it a long time ago. I know about my notes. And so, let's, let's have a look. What, what, what's going on here? People may want you to fail, sadly. And even in the church we find that, don't we? As a pastor, you know, I pastored people and loved them to death who want to see me fall flat on my face. But I've got a God who's bigger. And I don't worry about that, to be honest with you, because I don't need them to worry about me falling flat on my face. I can do it for myself. I don't need their help. People may want you to fail. The devil may want you to fail. But God never wants you to fail. Never, ever. And if you forget everything else that Stephen says this morning, will you please take that home with you? My God, who is my father, does not set me up to fail and does not want me to fail. He is on my side. And so, can you throw verse 16 up again for us, please? Is it possible to do that? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You see, it's our perspective that we go and think about. What is your perspective this morning? What do you see about your situation? And what do you think other people see about your situation? And thirdly, what do you think God sees about you? And your situation. It's all a case of perspective. The servant of Elisha could not see what Elisha could see. Do you understand that? And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. And of course, as he opened his eyes, Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant. And he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Let me tell you something. There are more people for you than there are against you because the host of heaven is on your side. No matter what you go through, no matter what you face, no matter what situation that you come up against, you are on the victory side. Jesus has won the victory. And so many churches and Christians uh, uh, fall into the trap of thinking, woe is me. I'm undone, which is what the, um, Isaiah said at the call that God gave him. He realized the glory of God, realized his own state and situation, and in comparison, he says, oh, whoa. Well, we don't use that kind of language these days, do we? But you know, the trouble with the church is they suffer from a disease called plum. Poor little old me. And it's a dreadful cancerous disease that is contagious and spreads because we think there's only little old me and, you know, everything, everyone else around me is okay, but here I am, God, poor little old me, I'm stuck in the middle. What can you do with me? Well, he can move mountains with you. 
He can dig valleys with you. He can cause revival with you. If he can take a small little Welshman who had stuttering lips and couldn't speak in front of a handful of people and, and then take him into a situation where he becomes a, a speaker and a pastor, and I've been doing it for nearly 37 years now, if he can take someone like that who had no uh, self-belief, had no self-worth, uh, or no self-image whatsoever, and, and call him into the ministry, he can do anything with anyone, and now you can't even shut me up. I told you I've got a problem. It's 62 years old. Well, nearly 63. Oh, dear. Where's time gone? There are more people for you than there are against you. So when you hear... That was very Welsh, wasn't it? When you hear... Yeah. When, you, when, you, when you hear the voices and, and the gossips and the things... And I don't know why I'm saying this, but let's leave it with the Lord. The things that are being said... Understand this, there are more people raising you up than there are putting you down. Do you realize you have a divine intercessor that sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, speaking on your behalf each and every single day and every single moment of every single day, and his name is Jesus? So you see all the rebuffs I've had to put up with all my life and, and, and all, all the stuff that I've had to work through, I, I've come to understand Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And it doesn't matter what you think about me, what you say about me. You may never ask me back ever again, and that's okay. He still loves me. Yeah? And if we truly grasp that, we learn to love each other, and we learn to love him, and we learn to work together, and we learn to understand, actually, we're not all the same, but at the same time, God can mold us together and fit us together and use us for the glory of the king. That's an awesome privilege, don't you think? An awesome privilege. I better start preaching my sermon. Lord, open it. That's the only trouble when you're a guest speaker. You're limited by time sometimes. Um, Five o'clock, okay. I said to John, what time do you finish? He made a mistake. He says, well, you know, feel free. (laughs) Blame him. Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. We have the emphasis to see him. And I want us to quickly understand that. First of all, we need to see his authority. The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Goodness me. We've had an anointed suggestion in the, in the songs this morning. Don't think for one minute when the worship leaders put a program together, it just happens. God is involved. You know, I, I like to get confirmation when I go somewhere else to speak that, that, that God is actually, I'm in tune with what God wants to say. Well, all you have to do is listen to what your pastor had to say, what his wife had to say, and what the worship leader and the worship group brought to you this morning Fit it in with what I'm talking about, and you will see there's a, there's a theme running through this service that God wants to speak about. We've talked about His authority, we've talked about His power, we've talked about His glory. My 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 head is this morning. If I don't get through it, okay. <laughs> we need to see His authority. We need to see His glory, and we need to see His way. Don't tell me there's not a theme in this service. I'm confident that the Holy Spirit is speaking, not because it's me, but because He is speaking, and because of what was said. Your, your prophetic singing, my love, really, I hope you don't mind me calling you that, because I'm a Welshman, we, we tend to do that, you know. I won't call John my love, but you know, that's the way we are. Um, what you don't understand, what you are speaking into this service through your worship. And the asides. Because you see, we all go through deserts, and I'll perhaps, if I get time, refer to that a little bit later on. Exodus chapter, oops, sorry, I'm, I'm going to my later points. Um... We need to see his authority. That, that the authority of Jesus is the greatest authority known to mankind yeah. and to anything and anyone. Matthew 28 verse 18 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So that it isn't a realm where all Authority is not given to him. Not a partial authority. All. So, what we prayed into through, uh, it's incredible, what we prayed into this morning, what was said to, to pray into, 
We talk about the authority of Jesus. Speak the authority of Jesus into the situation. Pray the authority of Jesus into the situation. I didn't even preach this morning. It's all been done for me. But I am. Because I'm here. All authority. It's time to learn and understand. We are not in control. He is. And if the church of Jesus Christ, not this church, the church of Jesus, because I know you don't have problems like that here, uh, the church of Jesus submitted all authority to him, we'd have no issues. The trouble is, too many people want a say-so in the church. That's not to say we don't have thoughts and minds and we should share something that we feel is important. Nobody wants to be gagged. But I've been, I've been in the pastoral ministry many years and I remember a certain situation where um, I shared this with John earlier on and I feel it's appropriate to share it this morning. Um, th- there was one particular church where every young pastor was sent there as, as a sort of starting base. Many years ago, this is what they used to do in Elim. My first congregation was eight. There were young people, by my standards now, but by my standards then they were old. All right, the youngest was 54. That's young to me now. But in those days, a young married man, just coming up from Bible college, just got married, just as green as you could ever be in the ministry, and I'm sent to these lovely dear battle axes. Sorry, ladies, who wanted full control. What they didn't realize was I was brought up in a pastor's home. I knew a little bit about control. <laughs> oh, my mouth. Anyway, they soon learned that it wasn't about control. It's about following Jesus. And the road of learning is a very long road. And I want to assure you this morning... If you express the authority of Jesus in every single situation and submit to him, then you will all fall into line with what God wants to do and it will happen. Simple really, isn't it? So why do we get in the way? Why do I get in the way? When it's all so simple, you're not getting any great theology here this morning. The theologian at Bible College will tell you, Stephen hasn't got a clue when it comes to theology. In fact, he used to fail me all the time. I'm still here. <laughs> Lovely, gracious man. We were talking about him this morning. What a wonderful character. You know, he invented the wings of Concord and gave it all up to serve Jesus at Bible College. That's humility. He could have been driv- driven around in a limousine and there he was fixing the brakes of his car outside his apartment on the college grounds. That's humility. They're the type of people I look to. They're the type of people I see. They're the type of people I want to be like. Because, you know, you wouldn't know. No airs and graces. You won't get an airs and graces from me. I don't know, I don't know how to do it. I can be posh. With a drink. I can be posh. This is posh. It's better than an old glass of water, isn't it? Let's face it. You know, it's posh. We need to see his authority. We need to see his glory, secondly. Sang about it again this morning, didn't we? The glory of Jesus. I want to tell you something. When the glory of God comes to a church, the church knows all about it. There's, there's a song, a, a modern chorus that we sing. Um, what we would do if, if, if Jesus came? Would I stand? Would I kneel? I, got to, I understand the sentiments of the chorus, but I think it's theologically incorrect. I tell you why. If Jesus was to walk through that door right now, we'd fall flat on our faces. So it's no question of what will I do, what will I be. And I understand the sentiments of why the chorus is written. I understand everything behind it. But I believe, well, I know for a fact, because I've seen the glory of God in his church, when the glory comes... We just cannot function. That is the truth. You want scriptural evidence? Moses built the tabernacle according to the uh, to God's instructions, blueprint. They come to open the tabernacle. God comes in all his glory and the priests can't go in. They can't function. Solomon builds a temple according to the pattern of the tabernacle under the authority and design of God. 
What happens? They dedicate the, the, the new temple to God and the priests go to function. What happens? They fall flat on their faces. They can't function. Here you are. There's two scriptures for you at least. There's more. When the glory of God comes, the church knows. When the glory of God comes, you know. Isn't that true? Come on, you've been in situations where you felt the immense, saturating presence of God, where you just can't function. I remember in one particular service, not in Jersey, in my last church, where God, God just came. <laughs> uh, it, it was just a funny kind of week. And um, I, I was just seeking God for over a period of time, a passion of mine to get alone and, and, and just say, I'm not doing anything else, I'm not visiting, I'm not doing pastoral stuff, I need to hear from God, and I just went through this process. I know it's offensive to some people sometimes, how dare a pastor not visit? Well, I think meeting with God was more important for my church at the time, actually. And um, I remember walking on the church, and, and the power of God came. I was on my own, and I was all crouched up. I know a voice coming into my head, you look ridiculous. You look like a chicken. I was walking on like this. The power of God over, over my body, and I just couldn't, I couldn't do much about it, and and I had this accusation come in. You look like a chicken. Get yourself together. Get a grip. And then another voice came. What does it matter? Nobody else can see you. So, okay. I said, right. I'll walk around like a chicken then. Nobody else can see what I'm doing. Nobody else can see what's happening to me. But if I'm going to meet with God, I'm going to meet with God. And, he's, and he spoke to me and said, I want you to preach on healing on Sunday. This is a Monday morning. I want you to preach on healing on, on, on Sunday morning. And I thought, how am I going to have a revival meeting, uh, a healing meeting, without, without all the advertising and stuff like this? And so, of course, human thinking, you know, God says do something, and you start to try and logically work out, how am I going to get the people to come in to be healed? And God says, I haven't asked you to do a crusade. I've asked you to preach on my healing. I am Jehovah Raphael. I am the God who heals. Do it. So into my office I go, start writing down my notes, and look in, you know, the scriptures that he gave to me, and I start looking through it. He says, what are you doing? See, God talks to me like this. He might not talk to you like it, because you're more intelligent than me, but he, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm preparing a sermon for Sunday, I'm doing what you told me to do. This is how we communicate sometimes, you know. And he said, I didn't tell you to prepare a sermon. He said, I gave you a scripture, and I told you to tell the church, I'm Jehovah Raphael, and I'm the God who heals, and that's what you're going to do on Sunday. You're going to preach on my healing power. Okay? Two scriptures. You can see I don't need them anymore. I, I can talk forever. But you know, I was, I was really nervous. How do I have a healing crusade with two scriptures, no notes, speak on God's behalf without thinking what I'm saying? It, 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 you know, bit of a bit of a situation here. And this is on the Monday. I had all, all week to worry about it. So I just spent the week with God, you know, and thought, well, on the Sunday morning, we begin our service, there's a, a tremendous anointing in the worship. I really shouldn't claim that because I was leading it. Uh, it's one of those times in my ministry where I had to play, sing, preach, lead, do everything, sadly. Um, but there you go, that's, that's the way it was. And um, uh, playing all the choruses wrong, probably, um, on my, my old guitar, and uh, with God came. And then I began to speak. And as I began to speak, people started crying. I thought, it's not that bad, surely. <laughs> like, I know I can preach terrible sometimes, but it wasn't that bad. And there was a breaking throughout the whole congregation. And as I began to speak, people began to fall on the floor. People began to cry, and, and then there was laughter all over the place. And someone said, you need to go to Toronto. I thought, I don't need to go to Toronto, I've got to here. And it wasn't anything to do with Stephen. Let me tell you something. It was a simple obedience to preach on Jesus as the healer. You see, I got the concept wrong. I thought he wanted to do healing in people's bodies. He wanted to heal the people in the church. So he could take the church to the next level. And from that Sunday, the church exploded and grew. Not because of Stephen the pastor and his wonderful preaching and his leadership ability, but because the power of God came. I know what I'm talking about when I talk about the power and the glory of God. We finished at 2 o'clock that day, and I could not drive home. And I do not drink alcohol. I was intoxicated. And one of my deacons actually drove me home because I could hardly walk to the car. Ha, hallelujah. I, can, I need more of that. I could do with a lot more of that, I can assure you. Don't you? Oh, come on, we need his glory. 
Moses asked to see his glory in Exodus chapter 33 verse 18. Show me your glory and God showed him. Isaiah 42 verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Do not try and steal God's glory. You have no rights. I as a preacher have no right to declare that what I'm doing is good. It's God's glory. If it blesses you, praise him. Let him have the glory. It needs, he needs the glory. When God's glory is revealed, things change and they change for the better. Not for the, not for the worse. God's glory changes situations and God's glory changes lives. And God's glory changes everything around him and everything around you. It's immense. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Do you know, I remember being at a conference many, many years ago as a teenager? I showed you how long ago it was. Before Steve was born, I think. Nice to see you, Steve and Angie. Um, I remember being in this service. All of a sudden, there was a crescendo of praise. In the spirit. Yeah. Were you in that service? Do you remember it? Back in the 70s. Just um, an altercation of praise and worship. And it, it just sprung up from no one from the pulpit designed it. No one tried to start it. It just happened. And I was absolutely awestruck. I felt the presence of God. All this wonderful, it's like, it's like being in a meeting with angels. Now, I've never been in a meeting with angels, so I'm just assuming. It wasn't human, that's for sure. It was definitely a spiritual thing. And this crescendo of, of, of godly praise and worship just rose up. And it went on for a while, and, and as soon as it rose up, it stopped. There was only one orchestra. <laughs> and his name was Jesus. Or the Holy Spirit. Choose which one you want. I won't argue with you theologically over it. Fact is, it happened. And I still remember that to this day. And my wife will tell you, I haven't the greatest of memories. In fact, she doesn't think I know what a memory is. So, we need to see his glory. Church, do you want to see the glory of God? As you get together, as you support, and as you work as one, you will see the glory of God. We had a taste of it this morning. Come on. You can go to some churches. You won't have worship like that. I wonder how many of you go up to this young lady afterwards and say, that was great. To the keyboard player, that was wonderful. Thank you. To the young drummer, thank you for, for, for leading us in such a way. Do you ever say that to your musicians? Because if you don't, start doing it. That's the instruction from a visiting speaker. Encourage those who are doing what they're doing for God. And that's not to beef them up in, in public. That's just to say, honor and accept what God is doing and encourage. You know, we're supposed to encourage one another. Hello? Oh, some of you don't agree with me, do you? Oh dear. What have I done? Don't you believe that's a scriptural principle? To encourage one another? Hmm. You look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what are they for? They're for the encouragement of the church, not for putting people down. Every single one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is for the encouragement and edifying, if you want to use the older word, of the church. Isn't that right? Oh, come on, please. I'm a visitor. Make me feel at home. Answer me. Isn't that what you believe 1 Corinthians 12 is all about? Edifying, building up, encouraging. We've got to encourage one another. Learn to, to congratulate one another. Not be jealous of somebody else who's doing something because I want to be doing it. That's not really godly, is it? I, I know there's nobody in this church like that, but just in case. I have a problem with my mouth. We need to see his way finally. Isaiah 42 verse 9. Ah. Oh. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. I believe I want to speak prophetically here right now. You have things coming into place and plans that God is preparing you for. We went through a situation back in our church. I don't want to go into detail. And the leadership went away to seek God and, uh, and say, what do you want us to do about this, Lord? Uh, what direction do you want to take, us to take us in? And God said very clearly to us, you draw a line in the sand and you move on. 
And do you know what we did? We went down to the beach, the, 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 my elder, my associate pastor, myself, went down to the beach. We physically drew a line in the sand and then we did a, a thing going forward and we stood on this side and we prayed. We stepped over the line and we said, we're never looking back again. We're going forward. Because the things of the future are new and are great and are wonderful. The things of the past are history. It's good to remember the good things of God, but we cannot live in the past. If I lived in the past, I'd be playing for Wales tomorrow. A rugby and football. Get my drift. Take a ball now. You know? We've got to learn to move on in the things of God. And we need to see His way and His direction. Draw a line, friends. If you're haggling onto old stuff, if you're haggling onto stuff that happened in the past, can I ask you to leave it go? You know, you don't have it here, but back in the old days in Elim, you'd go to a church and, and the deacons would say, oh, we've always done it. Well, in Wales, I'm talking about. Oh, we've always done it this way, brother. I got a pat answer for that. Let's try doing it God's way for a change. I can be so rude sometimes, can't I? It's like, it's, do you have your pat answers to certain things people say to you? Like when someone says to you, I don't want to come to your church, it's full of hypocrites. What I say to them, you've got plenty of room for one more. <laughs> We're all jolly hypocrites at one, one time or other. None of us live perfectly, do we? So I say, well, come and join us. And then there's the people who are looking for the perfect church. I've had people in my congregation want to move on. They want to find the perfect church. And, oh, I can be so naughty. I say to them, when you find the perfect church, do me a favor. They said, what? I said, don't join it. Why? You ruin it. It won't be perfect anymore. Do you know something? There is no other church in the whole of the earth like the Lancy Elam Church. Do you understand that? Because no other church in the world has you in it. Think about it. You're the only church like this. Thank God for yourselves. Thank God for your brothers and sisters. Thank God for those he's called into ministry here because you are the only church. You are totally unique. There is no other preacher like me. I know some of you are thinking, oh, thank you, Lord. Stop it. (laughs) But you know, you've got to understand, you are the only church like this. God has a blueprint for you. God has a pattern for you. But it has to be his way and not yours. And when you do it his way, things will come to fruition and things will come to pass. Don't remember the, uh, about staying in the, and living in the past. God has always created new things. He is the God, the creator. He hasn't stopped creating. He didn't finish creating when he finished the, the world and the universe. He's creating even now. Our God is creative and he's creating new things, new opportunities, new moments for you and for the church and for your leadership and for those young children upstairs who are actually learning about the love of Jesus right now. God is preparing them for a future that is awesome and glorious and wonderful. And you are part of his plan. If you want to be. That's down to you. That's down to me, isn't it? Do I want to be a part of his plan and his future? What time do you say to finish? What's your desire right now? You see, there's nothing, and I want to follow up what Angie said earlier on, there's nothing that God cannot fulfill. It's in my notes. There's nothing that God cannot do for you right now. And it's not a lack of faith. That's nonsense. Okay? My wife suffers terribly from arthritis in the spine. She doesn't have a lack of faith. She was healed of cancer before my children were born. And the Asian doctor who diagnosed her could not believe that she was healed. And God gave me a word of knowledge on a Sunday morning for my own wife. and I didn't even know she was suffering. My mum had just died of cancer. And she didn't want to tell me because she didn't want me to go through the trauma all over again and bring up I was, I was still going through the process of getting used to the fact my mum had just gone. I was very close to my mum. And m- most boys are, aren't they? You know, it's, it's funny, isn't it? 
I don't worry when my son goes to talk to my wife, because that's what they do. Don't be offended, dads. That's what boys do. Okay, and I was, I, I still miss, my, my mum died 30 years ago. I still miss her even now. You don't get over the loss. And, you know, she was going through this thing in her mind, I, I mustn't put Stephen through this. But we, we had a chat afterwards, a gentle chat. You'll never ever do that to me again, kind of chat. And we made a vow to each other, we promised each other we would never hide anything of that nature ever again. But you know, she came out for prayer now. Why is my wife coming out? Because nobody else responded. And I, you know, if I feel God gives me a word of knowledge, I share it and I leave it. I don't force it because I don't believe it's right because you give people the opportunity and it's up to them to, to, to follow what the Holy Spirit is saying. And you're not always right, by the way, when you feel you're using, God's using you. So I, I just said, someone needs healing. They've got pain in the stomach here this morning and you need to come out for prayer because I, I really believe, and I, I very rarely say anything like this, God wants to heal you. Nothing. So I said, okay, leave it, Stephen. You know? But you know, the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not leaving it. You know, he can be very stubborn sometimes. Oh, the Holy Spirit. Apparently, so can I. I, I. I'm not stubborn. My wife says so. She doesn't know what she's talking about. So I left it. The Holy Spirit says, need to speak again. And I said, there's someone in pain right now. At this very moment, you have pain in your lower abdomen right in your tummy area, and you need to come out for prayer. And I am very specific now about where the pain was when it was in the lower abdomen. Lo and behold, my wife was at the front. Now, she didn't want to come out because she didn't want it to look as if she was giving me authenticity because nobody else was moving. Understand what a pastor's wife goes through? She's the one who needs the word, but she doesn't want to come and look as if she's just making me look good and I'm not making a mess of things. You know, there are no ulterior motives in pastors' wives' lives. Let me tell you something. They want to honor what God is doing in the church, generally speaking. And now she comes to the front, and so I thought, okay, I'll pray for you. In the car on the way home, I says, I didn't know you weren't well. Oh, I got a bit of pain in my tummy, you know. Strange. Left it at that. She went back to the doctor. And he was scratching his head. He went, sent more tests. He said, I can't understand this. He said, it's gone. It's totally gone. Now, we're talking about an Asian doctor who has no faith in the power of Jesus and does not understand how healing has taken place in this lady's body, a young, a young lady, and she's totally healed. And I want to say to you this morning, she suffers badly with arthritis right now, but... And people say, well, why isn't she healed? It's not a lack of faith. God knows what he's doing. He's in control. But I continuously, and I did it this morning, I spoke into that situation in the name of Jesus, believing that God is going to heal her and that she can function in the way that she wants to function in the kingdom of God. Okay. So we are vulnerable to the situations around us as well. But the fact of the matter is, as you speak, oh dear, they switched me off. As you speak into situations into circumstances. God, you must want me to shut up. I'm not going to fight with it. It has to be his way. His will. And we, as his children, need to submit to it. And my plea to, to you as a church is that you will submit to whatever God wants to do his way Submission is a, is a dirty word today, and I don't know why, because it's biblical. We submit to one another, don't we? You see, if God was to say something to you, and you knew, clearly, God has spoken to me, and other people did not respond to what God was saying to you and, and, and ignored you, you'd be hurt, wouldn't you? Come on, well, is that not the case? You'd, 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 be, you'd be affronted, and you'd think, well, why isn't anybody listening to me? Why is it when church people, and I'm not, it doesn't happen here, of course, I'm talking generally. Why is it when church people are told by the leadership, this is what God is saying to us, they come with such excitement, God has given us the vision, and wow, let's go for it, and somebody says, bah humbug. Hey, Delancey, you're not like that, surely. I can't believe it. But let me, let me say to you, if you are, 
And if you are hankering after the things of the past and, and, and you're saying, we always did it this way, how about giving it a try of doing it in another way? And saying, wouldn't it be great when the days come when this church is not big enough to contain the presence of God and the people of God and those coming into salvation? And you may say, well, but we're only small islands after all. Let's face it. Rhubarb. There are thousands on this island who need Jesus. I'm a great believer that every evangelical church in Jersey could be 3,000 strong and we still wouldn't touch the surface. Have a great time, wouldn't they? <laughs> I wouldn't mind being up there with them. Let's pray. Can we pray? God's authority, God's glory, God's way. Now, I'm going to take a bit of license here. I'm a, I'm a visiting speaker. But I, I'd like to challenge uh, in the spirit. You know, when, when I feel God has something uh, strong to say, I don't believe there's any good preaching a sermon and then walking off and saying, well, Goodbye. Maybe, maybe, there needs to challenge ourselves this morning. Maybe you're that person who you think that you're set up to fail. No matter what you put your hand to, it's not going to work. Let me tell you something, that could become a curse. And I believe in breaking that in the name of Jesus. All curses can be broken. I was told by a school teacher in my very first school I was stupid. I lived with that for years and years and years until God told me, Stephen, you're not stupid. I don't make anything stupid. And so can I first of all say to you this morning, you're not a failure because God doesn't make failures. Okay. You may feel inadequate. That's different than being a failure. But I want to assure you this morning, even though you may feel inadequate, and I came here with a dry mouth this morning, I came here in fear and trembling, how am I going to be received? How, how is the message going to go down? Hey, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what, what people say to me or think about me, it's what God does in their lives, so what he has to say is the important thing. And you can wave goodbye to me, but as long as God does what he wants to do, that's all I care about. It's the old mouth again, isn't it? There's someone here this morning. I'm asking that everyone closes their eyes right now because this is personal. There's someone here this morning and you feel that you've been set up to fail all the time. And you just cannot deal with it because you're afraid to step out. Because the only thing that's going to happen is that you're going to mess up. And you're going to fail. If you're here... I'm not going to ask you to come up to the front because I'm not going to expose people like that. But if you're here this morning, I want to pray for you. Would you just let me know that you are, that you, that God has spoken to you so I can just pray? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, put your hand down. Is anybody else? Because I believe God wanted to speak into lives this morning. I hope you take away from this message that you are not a failure. You are precious in God's eyes. My love for my children is totally unconditional. My daughter put on her Facebook, the first person, the first man that ever showed her unconditional love was me, her father. Can I say to you this morning, the first person that showed you unconditional love is God, your father. And his love is unconditional. He does not love you according to what you do, what you are, what you're able to do. He loves you because you're his child. Friends, this morning, that's powerful. And I want to break that. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before your throne. Thank you that you are able to speak into our lives. Thank you that you have a love that is beyond 
any other love, that your love is unconditional. And I want to declare into the heavenly realms this morning, there is no failure in this place this morning because we are children of the King and we're children of the Lord of all glory. We're children of the Father of fathers and you're going to breed success into the hearts and lives of these people. And Lord, for those who acknowledge that they have those kind of thoughts, will you break them right now in Jesus' name? Will you just take the thoughts of the enemy from off them right now in Jesus' name and give them victory in their own thinking that they are children of the King? And as we're children of the King, we do not raise ourselves in arrogance. We acknowledge in humility that we're children of the King because you died for us. And I want to thank you right now that you're healing in the inner being those thoughts, those thought processes. And where those lives have come from, Lord, we speak forgiveness to the originator of those thoughts. And we speak victory in the lives of your children. I wonder how many of us this morning are determined to go God's way. You know, when we talk about going God's way, yes, we do have to come under the authority of a, of a pastor and his wife and the leadership and whatever. But, you know, I believe in this church, you're dedicated to do that, otherwise you wouldn't be here. But, you know, I wonder how many of us are willing to say, yes, the new thing is ahead of us. Let's forget about the past. We thank God for it. But let's move on into the future, into a new thing. I, I'm... I dare to speak prophetically over you this morning. God is bringing you into a new season. And you may say, what authority have you got to do that, Steve? I I don't know. (laughs) I just feel in my spirit it's something I've got to say. I believe it's one of my giftings that God actually takes me into situations where, where he wants to say something and sometimes he uses the big mouth. And I believe God has a new season for you. And I want to challenge you as a church. Are you willing to step into the new? Because, you know, let's face it, when God does something new, it's totally different. And he wants to use you, but in a new way. I mean, he's changing our traditions. Oh, our traditions. And I say this very, very thoughtfully, to hell with our traditions. And I say that very thoughtfully, okay, and seriously. Sometimes our traditions can get right in the way of the new that God wants to do. And they need to go back to where they come from. Some traditions are good. Don't get me wrong. I'm doing a new thing. How many of you want to step into the new that God has for you? Right. This is a different challenge. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Because there's open confession. I want to step into the new that God has for us. Has for me. And has for us as a church. Has for us as an island. You know. We're not insignificant on these islands. We can touch the world. How many of you are saying, yes, Lord, I want to step into the new that you have for us? Come on, stand up if you're going to. Well, you are my friends after all. Can I say something to you? It doesn't matter about the philosophy of the church. There is power in unity. And because you've stood united, God is going to honor you. I'm not afraid to declare that. Because you've stood as one, God will take you forward as one. And you'll have your ups and downs, you'll have your troughs. After all, we're human. The church is made up of people. That's the only problem with it. But you've stood in unity, and that's a sign that God will bless. Because he declares, we're brethren, and that's genetical by the way, not, not just men. We're brethren, stand together in unity What does he do? I command my blessing. Go and read it, Psalm 133. It'll take you ten seconds. It's two verses. Father, as we stand as one right here this morning, and as a privileged visitor, I pray over this wonderful congregation that you will take them into the new things that you have for them. I don't know what their plans are, Lord. I don't know what what uh, the, the leadership is talking about, but you have something new. And I pray that as one, they will walk in the, in the unity of the Spirit and they will get behind the new thing that you want to do for them as individuals and for them as a church and that you will use them mightily and that 
Jesus Christ will be glorified in this place. And that Jesus Christ will glory, be glorified out of this place. And just like um, Ezekiel saw with the temple, as waters flow into the temple of the house of God, that the rivers will flow out, touching those things around them and the people around them. And that the glory and the blessing of God will come from this place and touch the neighborhood and touch the island and beyond. I ask that in your precious name. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Healing Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyhealing.co.uk.